You may be seated. Amen. Well, good morning, Coastal Church. Good to see you guys. Thank you so much for coming out this morning. It is a gross morning out, so thank you for coming, okay? I appreciate that. Uh, I'm going to continue in a series I've been doing in the Psalms. I'm going to finish next week, and then we'll get into some Christmas stuff, okay? Uh, so if you have your Bible, would you do me a favor? And I'm going to probably turn to a favorite of many of yours. We're going to look at Psalm 23. And, uh, and if you don't have a Bible, there's probably one in a chair in front of you. And if you don't own a Bible, do me a favor, take that one with you. Okay, that's our gift to you. Inside of your bulletin is a handout, and you can follow along with me there. And uh, while you're kind of doing all that, I want to say two things. Number one, uh, you know, Pastor Jeff mentioned the budget vote coming up uh, for the 2014 budget. And as your pastor, I just want to thank you, uh, all of you who donate to the ministries here at Coastal Community Church. And uh, I know times are difficult, the economy is uncertain, and those of you who choose to honor the Lord by by giving sacrificially, thank you very, very much, okay? And I really appreciate you. And uh, also want to say, just kind of put on your radar, uh, as you're planning your family stuff around Christmas, don't forget we've got our Christmas Eve service coming up. Uh, I think you know the date of that. Uh, but uh, we do a, a three o'clock and a five o'clock service, and and uh, it's a family worship service. Okay, we only have childcare for the younger guys. Okay, and the rest we want you to worship as a family. We keep it short and sweet, so you can go have time with your family. Try to keep it about forty-five minutes. It's always just a really simple, quiet, great worship service as we remember Jesus, or God's great gift to us in His Son Jesus Christ. Okay, uh, so I've been doing this sermon series on the Psalms, and rather than just go through all the Psalms, what I've been trying to do is introduce you to different genres of Psalms so that you, in your personal time, your personal reading, can begin to enjoy the Psalms and and use them as a prayer guide and as a song guide and as a worship guide in your private time with the Lord, okay? And uh, and so I've been introducing different genres of ones, and and i got to be honest with you, as I was coming up here, driving up here this week to to preach this sermon, uh, God kind of humbled me a little bit because I was like, you know, the 23rd Psalm is like a a favorite, and, and who am I to even attempt to elaborate on it in any way that could could give it any insight. And, and uh, man, I, I'm a little bit, I'm treading on, on very sacred and holy ground. I mean, this is just one of those texts that, that just the plain reading of it resonates with us, doesn't it? It, it just resonates deeply in our hearts. And, and, uh, and so, uh, so I thought we'd do something a little bit different this morning. And so if you're a guest this morning, we don't usually do weird things. This may be a little bit weird, okay? But I thought it would be kind of fun and engaging uh, to read this psalm out loud together, okay, as a congregation. So, uh, so we're going to do that. You guys kind of follow my lead, okay? And you guys know that I like the NLT version of the Bible, but I decided to go with an older version. Uh, because I know it'll resonate with our hearts, okay? So let's do this together. Here we go, ready? 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house. Man, that's good stuff, isn't it? This is called a confidence psalm, actually. That's the genre of it, that we, we have confidence in, in our shepherd. I, uh, I don't know how many of y'all were here a couple weeks ago, and I was 
preaching on a psalm of praise, and I was teaching us, and I illustrated, I started the sermon by illustrating how we all praise something, right? And I illustrated how I praise the Seattle Seahawks, my favorite football team. How many of y'all remember that story that I told? Because I, I raised your hand, only two of you, it had to be more, okay? And I, I kind of built this elaborate story about when I praise the Seattle Seahawks, I have, I'm a little bit superstitious when the games are on TV, you know, I dress a certain way, and I, I make a certain food, and I'm all, you know, I make sure no people are over my home, and it's got to be just me and my family or we run the risk of the Seahawks losing. You know, all that's very important. And, and so this past Monday night, uh, the Seattle Seahawks were on Monday Night Football, and they were playing one of the, uh, probably in their history, one of the more bigger regular season games. I mean, it had a lot of playoff implications. And so uh, me and my family, we went through our routine. Uh, you know, I got on the jersey. I got on, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I got on the Seattle Seahawks pajamas that I own, okay? I'm afraid I'm going to say underoos, for those of you you're really old, right? You know, but I got that on. I had the fire going. I made the cheese dip. You know, we turned the phone off. We, you know, and I, I plugged my TV into the stereo so it'd have some good low end bass. You know, when the Seahawks roll, you know, rolled the New Orleans Saints. You know, we were just ready. And the kickoff happens. And as the kickoff happens, my wife says, "Honey, the doorbell is ringing." Now we have this really wimpy doorbell that it's hard to hear, and so figuring that it was someone playing a joke on me, I just turned the volume up so I wouldn't hear them. And uh, she goes, honey, the doorbell is ringing. I'm like, okay. And my other son goes, yeah, it looks like there's a flashlight out there on the porch. So I go over to the porch and I open the door and there are two church members standing on my porch with food and jerseys on. Mind you, they're not Seattle Seahawks jerseys. Now, now, I don't want to embarrass these church members, so I'm not going to give you their names, but their initials are Chris Lay and John Lindstrom, okay? And so there they're standing at my door, and, and what begins to run through my head is all my superstition. Like, you know, they, they heard my story, and now they think, they're, you know, this could cause the Seahawks to lose if I let them in my house. And what began to run through my head is actually in 1 Timothy 3, the Apostle Paul gives uh, a definition to some of the obligations of a spiritual leader in a church. And one of those obligations is that they're hospitable, that they open their home. And three times, and John Lindstrom has this on film because he's filming me, three times I said, are you serious? You really want to come in? I mean, I wasn't going to let them in, you know? Like, and finally, I, it dawned on me, like, he ain't going away, you know? And so I begrudgingly let them in my house. And the strangest thing happened, uh, to my surprise, the, uh, the Seattle Seahawks won, right? And um, I started to reconsider my superstitions, you know? Like, huh, maybe, maybe they don't work. And as I thought about it more, I thought, you know, maybe, maybe I've been placing my confidence in the wrong thing. I mean, maybe... The Seahawks winning really has more to do with the players on the field and a lot less to do with my cheese dip that I make, you know? Like, and it dawned on me that maybe my confidence was in the wrong thing. Um, now, before I transition in the sermon, let me say this. Um, if the Seahawks make it to the playoffs and you show up at my front door, you will not be let in, okay? I just want to be clear going forward, okay? It was funny one time. It's not funny a second time, all right? First time, shame on me. Second time, whatever. Okay, however that goes, all right? All right, now, this is a confidence psalm. Psalm 23 um, doesn't make any sense apart from the first line. 
The rest of this psalm is the question that we're going to go full circle here with this morning is, where's your confidence lie? When, you know, we, take, we, we pull back the curtain of your heart and your mind and your soul and your thinking, and what do we see? And if I really saw what you really, where the confidence of your heart and life really lies, because all of Psalm 23, it's, its foundation is found in the very first line. The very first line of Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my what, church? Shepherd. The Lord's my shepherd. Now, uh, I want to I zero in here for a minute. The, the idea here is that your confidence lies in Christ alone. That the rest of this psalm will, make, will not make sense if your confidence is in other things. The good shepherd, and we're going to run with this in a few moments to John chapter 10, where Jesus is teaching him, and he, he proclaims himself as the good shepherd, and I'm convinced that he had Psalm 23 in mind. Okay, by the way, the Psalms were Jesus' Bible. The Psalms were Jesus' hymn book, okay? He, I'm convinced he had Psalm 23 in mind, but the key is where your confidence lies. The key is where your heart is. This is not some religious box to check. It's not some, you know, it's not some religious duty that you perform. It's, it's the confidence of your heart. And the language here is that of shepherding. And, and it's an interesting word because I, my gut tells me that most of us in this room, we don't understand the purpose and the role of a shepherd because we have no idea. We don't tend sheep, right? But this psalm was written by David, King David, okay? And if you remember where King David was found, remember, where was he found? He was found doing what? He was found being a shepherd. And so he deeply and had an intimate understanding of what it is a shepherd does all day, every day. In fact, we get, we get a little glimpse of that. You know, when I think about a shepherd, I think about this quiet, silent night, you know, a guy with a robe and a little crooked hook, you know, he's just kind of standing there. He really doesn't do much all day, right? He, he just, the sheep just do what they do and you just watch them, okay? How many of y'all remember the story of David and Goliath? And I've used this illustration before, but this, is a, this gives you a little insight into the role of a shepherd. Remember the story of David and Goliath where he, he comes up to the battlefront, the people of Israel battling the Philistines. He comes to the battlefront. If you remember, he's not yet a soldier. He comes up to bring some lunch and, and some goodies to his brothers who are fighting the battle. And when he gets there, there's this Philistine. He's huge. His name's Goliath, and he's cursing the people of Israel, and he's cursing the God of Israel, and he's challenging the whole nation to a one-on-one -on -one battle. He's the largest man of the opponents, okay? And so if you remember back to your Old Testament history, do you remember who was the king at the time? It wasn't David. Who was the king before David? It was King Saul. And you remember why King Saul was made king? Anybody remember? Because he was tall. So if, if this was the battle of the bigs, okay, King Saul should have been out there, right? But he doesn't have the heart of a king. He doesn't have the heart of a great leader. And so he's not out there. And so he's cowering. And so David, the shepherd boy, comes up. He hears this God-cursing Philistine. And he says, what are you all doing? I will go out and face the giant, okay? And I want you to see this. I've used this illustration before, and I remember when this really caught me a couple years ago, this passage, 1 Samuel chapter 17. So David is trying to convince King Saul to let him go out with a slingshot, okay, to face this guy. He says, he says I've been taking care of my father's sheep and goats. Now, let's back up here for a minute. I want to I pause. I want to give you this, okay? You got to get the context. There, this 
Philistine, Goliath, is taunting the nation of Israel. And basically the challenge is, if I beat your best warrior, we will, then you as a country have to serve us. And if you beat me, our best warrior, then we will be subservient. I mean, we're talking about slavery here, right? I mean, we're talking about a nation bowing to another. That's how huge this contest is. And so David shows up, he's irritated at Goliath, and his resume is, I've been a shepherd, okay? Seems kind of funny, right? Like, really? He goes on. I've been taking care of my father's sheep. I know a little something about this, is what he's saying, all right? When a lion or a bear comes to steal a lamb from my flock, all right, well, I want you to picture this, okay? This is hundreds of pounds of animal, okay, that's hungry. Now, I'm telling you, if I'm the shepherd and I got a flock of 100 sheep and you go after one, I'm like, you can have the one. All right, come on, we're going this way, all right? When a lion or bear comes and steals a lamb from my flock, I go after it with a large shotgun. No, no. I go after it with a club and rescue the lamb from its what? I mean, you're talking hand-to-hand combat, okay? That's what we're talking about. If the animal turns on me, I grab it by its jaw and I club it to death. Guys, David is a man's man, okay? That's what we're talking about here, okay? I have done this to both lions and bears, and I will do it to this pagan Philistine too, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord rescued me from the claws of the lions and the bears, or rescue me from the Philistine. Now, why do I share that with you? David understands shepherding, okay? It's not a guy sitting on a hill with a crook. If the Lord is your shepherd, he's everything to you. I mean, the, the enemies of your faith, the enemies of your life. That, in fact, that's part of the picture of David and Goliath. I think a lot of people teach the story of David and Goliath, and they, they teach it wrong. They say, now, you know, just like David, you go out and face your giants. Just go out and do it. And then when you fail, you're like, I don't get it. I did what the preacher told me. Now, let me tell you something. David is a type of Jesus Christ. He's the shepherd that takes care of your enemies. Lean heavily into him and your enemies will be defeated. You get that? Jesus is your good shepherd. And David understood the power and the importance of a shepherd. David knew well the needs of the sheep. The sheep, they rely entirely on the shepherd. They look for the shepherd for food and water and shelter and guidance and protection and health care and retirement and daily strength and wisdom to navigate a broken marriage. And on and on the list goes. You can lean heavily into the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, and he will take care of you. And the sheep, man, they're completely helpless apart from the guidance of the shepherd. And the sheep have complete confidence in the shepherd. This is why Jesus said, by the way, John chapter 10, I told you we were going to run here. John chapter 10 is where Jesus proclaims himself as the good shepherd. He says this in John 10, 26. He says, but you don't believe me because you're not my sheep. See, some of you here, maybe you're wrestling with belief in God. I'm going to tell you why that is. You're not yet one of in his sheepfold. Your, your confidence is lying in something else. Your, your confidence is lying in your own self or in your economy or in your finances or in a relationship with someone else or on and on the list goes. Okay, but if you're confident, then you will hear the voice of God. Verse 27, my sheep, they listen to my voice. They, I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. Get this church and they will never perish. No one can snatch them away from me for the father has given me them to me, and he is more powerful than anyone else. By the way, one of the things I love about this verse is it teaches me that the, my salvation has a lot less to do with me. It has a lot more to do with whose hands I'm in. 
See, my salvation and my eternal security and, and, and all the enemies that I face. And by the way, when you guys know this, because I talk about this often, when we talk about New Testament enemies, Paul reminds us we're fighting a spiritual battle. It's not a human thing, right? And the enemies of the faith are, are the world, the flesh, and the devil, according to the New Testament. And, and our shepherd conquers all them. All right? When I lean into him. He's more powerful than anyone else. No one can snatch them from my Father's hand. The Father and I are one. Let me ask you something, okay, because we're going to bring this sermon full circle here in a few minutes. Where's your confidence lie? Really? Because the 23rd Psalm, the rest of the good stuff that we love about the 23rd Psalm doesn't make any sense if your confidence lies in anything other than Christ alone. So where's your confidence lie really? Money? A degree, a relationship. Some of you here are still dependent on you. Like, I'm just going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. That's the American way. I got to tell you something. I'm, I can be a failure sometimes, so I'm really glad my life doesn't depend on me. Right? So I want to encourage you. My hope is that by the end of the sermon, you can sit here and you're going to go, you know what? I'm going to join David by saying, the Lord is my shepherd. Because the rest of this psalm, if you have complete and unwavering confidence in him, it's a great psalm of hope. Because the psalmist says this, if your confidence is in the Lord, you will have rest, renewal, and purpose. I could never unpack all the thoughts in this psalm, but you will have rest, renewal. Here's three. Ready? Rest, renewal, and purpose. Psalm 23, verse 1 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He even restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. When you have rest in Christ, there's no want. By the way, is anybody here that, you know, you've kind of bought into the American culture and you're constantly wanting. I mean, one of the dangers of capitalism, I love capitalism, I think it's got some real value, but one of the dangers is it's the constant push to never be satisfied, right? Maybe you're here this morning and if you're like me and you can find your heart getting caught up into this mess, there's times where you're like, man, I'm, I'm kind of weary of just wanting all the time. How about just a little satisfaction, a little contentment, right? There's a danger in wanting and, and the good shepherd leads us to a place where you don't need to want because it's exhausting to want all the time. The good shepherd says, I provide everything you need. Green pastures, you'll have it. Still waters, you have it. Which, by the way, did you know this? Did you know that a sheep will not drink if the water is rippling too hard? Right? And this says, the good shepherd will lead you even to a place where you'll make sure you have plenty to drink. In a quiet place, in a still place. And there's rest for your heart. He says, he restores my soul. You know, how, many, how many of you, I'm not asking for a show of hands. Whenever I ask this, sometimes people don't get it's rhetorical. Okay, so uh, how many of you came in here, man, you're just a little soul-weary today? I mean, honestly, oh, we stripped away all the stuff, and it was just you and I talking to you. Man, I'm, I'm, I'm fatigued, you know? The Good Shepherd restores our soul. Some of you are here this morning, and you're, you're soul-weary because of your past, right? Like, no one really knows about your past, but the past keeps echoing in your mind and in your heart, telling you what a failure you are, and if anybody really knew, and you're soul-weary. Can I tell you something? The Good Shepherd's already taken care of the sin issue, and so, therefore, the shame issue is taken care of as well, all right? 
in Christ. You know, we just sang a glorious day, and I love the, the, the line in that song about, man, uh, we're justified, you know? And some of y'all have learned that justified means it's just as if I'd never sinned. How many of y'all have ever heard that? That's the doctrine of justification. It's actually better than that. It takes it a step further, which that saying doesn't go quite far enough. Not only is it just as if you'd never sinned, it's just you've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ by grace through faith. That's the gospel message. It's a doctrine of justification. So our soul is restored in Christ alone. So we don't have to walk around with guilt and shame anymore. And then the psalmist gives us purpose. He says, you lead me in paths of righteousness. Guess what? For your namesake. Church, there's nothing higher that we can worship than the God of the universe. And here's the thing. Everything here on earth has, is temporal. But when we live and worship and do everything we can for the name and fame of Jesus Christ, it has eternal impact. How cool is that? I don't get to just live for the here and now that, that there's God somehow because he loves me and he loves you. He, he says, listen, your life can actually make a difference, an eternal difference. How? For my name's sake. If everything you do is for your glory, because if you're doing it for your name's sake, you're going to run around with like reputation control all the time, right? But if you do what you do for with righteousness and integrity and character, then he'll take care of making sure the glory goes to the right place. It's for his name's sake. When you have confidence in the shepherd, there's protection. All right, go back to that first Samuel passage we looked at with David where he protected his sheep, man, and he, you know, he went up and clubbed the lion and the bear. I mean, that's a really a beautiful picture of the protection of the good shepherd. Psalm 23, 4 and 5 says, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Want to know what I love about this passage? It reminds me that I will go through difficult times, all right? Um, We live in a culture where um, a lot of the teaching in American culture, and and I think some of this has to do with the prosperity of America, is that... um, if you become a follower of Jesus, man, you, everything works out good all the time. You know, every day's Friday kind of thing, right? No, not every day's Friday. The good, Psalm 23 reminds me, not every day's Friday. There are times you will go through difficult times, all right? If you're here today and you're investigating Jesus Christ, okay, he gives the abundant life and he gives the eternal life, but that doesn't mean there's never difficult times. Why is that, by the way? You don't know why that is? There's things that happen in difficult times that can't happen any other way. All right? There's things that, there's characteristics that God wants you to know about him. He's, he's, he's forming in you Christ-likeness. There's, there's, he's forming in you uh, the characteristics of the Godhead. And sometimes the only way that can happen is going through difficult times. The second reason we go through difficult times is sometimes there's only things going through difficult times. That's the only way there's certain things in your life that can bring glory to God and make Jesus famous. And so we're, we're going to go through difficult times. And so what this passage teaches is even though you may go through difficult times, you're going there with a sovereign God who is fully in charge and is using your difficult times to bring glory to God in all things. Even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear because God is with you. And and then he, the weapons of the shepherd are there. The rod and the staff are are, are buffering the sides so that the purposes of God and the glory of God will be revealed in and through you, even in difficult times. 
One of my favorite lines in the 23rd Psalm is this, verse 5, and you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You want to know why I love that? To me, it's, it's battlefield imagery, right? And, 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 and by the way, life here on earth is not peacetime. That's the next life, okay? When Jesus and Pastor Jeff kind of reminded us that there's the first coming and the second coming. Second coming is when everything's going to be set right and it's going to be peacetime. In the meantime, we're, it's kind of battle time, right? But even in the midst of the battle and battles grow wearying and it grows difficult and it's difficult to remember that, you know, I have this lifetime of service to the Lord and we have enemies. It's going to be difficult. And there is this time when Jesus comes and going to set it all straight. But in the meantime, man, it can be wearying in the middle of the battle to play your little lot in life and do whatever God's called you to do. But even in the middle of that, there's times where God gives us a respite and he, he prepares a table, a banquet feast for us, even in the presence of my enemies, while they look on and watch me rest, because God has provided. you see that? I was telling the worship team that one of the things, whenever I read this line, I always think about is corporate worship, actually. I think about this time where we gather and we sing truths to God and about God, and we, we're reminded of the truths of God through the preaching of the Word, and we hang out with other believers, other saints of God who encourage our hearts and remind us of the truth and remind us of the future, what God has for us. And in that, it's, there's times where this, for me and hopefully for you, is like a spiritual banquet feast in the presence of my enemies, where I just pause for a few minutes of my week and go... Oh, God, yes, thank you. You're still in control because it sure didn't feel like it a lot of times this week, right? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When we run this through the New Testament, the Apostle Paul reminds us, he says, can anything ever separate us from the love of Christ or Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened? In other words, does it mean he doesn't love us if we go through difficult times? Of course not. He says, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. By the way, going back to the Psalms, this is a quote from Psalm 44. No, Paul says, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death, nor life, nor angels, or demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love, no, no power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord even if I pass through the valley of the shadow of death, you're with me. All right? If you have confidence in the good shepherd, he's with you all the way through. And we have confidence in Christ, our good shepherd. He brings us honor and blessing. He brings honor and blessing. That's what it means to anoint your head with oil. He says, you anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. When you lean heavily into God's ways and obedience to his word and his teaching, the natural result is honor and blessing. Have you ever been caught in a sin? Like the minute that happens and you get caught, either by the teaching of the word, another person, the Holy Spirit, whatever, and you get caught and it's like, oh man, right? What's that? It's dishonor. It's shame. Like, I've, I know I've, I've gone off the path of righteousness. Um, that's the beauty of leaning into the good shepherd and doing things his way. There's somebody here this morning, as I, even as I mentioned this, like, as soon as I say, have you ever been caught in a sin? Like, your heart, you know right now. Man, I feel like he's about to call me by name, right? No, I'm not. Okay, that's the power of the Holy Spirit working on your heart. Because when you repent and do things his way, you don't have to sink your head anymore. 
because he honors those that are on the path of righteousness. And I can tell you something, if you'll repent, and by the way, repentance doesn't mean I feel bad. Repentance doesn't mean I cry over it, although that's a lot of times what goes with confession and repentance. Repentance means 180 degrees. Repentance means I'm done doing it my own way. I'm going to turn and I'm going to do it God's way. Okay, that's what repentance means. When you repent and you do things God's way, guess what he does? He honors that. You get out of the muck and you follow after him and he honors your repentance. And then he blesses you. He says, your cup, it overflows. How many of y'all had the opportunity? I hope you did over Thanksgiving weekend. Always try to take some time to do this, you know, to just give thanks to God, right? And when you start giving thanks to God, you kind of start counting your blessings. If you remember the old hymn, count your blessings, name them one by one. You start doing that. You know what happens? You, it, it doesn't take long, no matter, any, no matter your situation in life, when you start counting your blessings, you go, my cup is overflowing, man. Right? And, 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 and again, it's, it's the American dream and the commercialism that bombards us with, you know, be dissatisfied, be dissatisfied, be dissatisfied, be dissatisfied. When you take a few minutes to be satisfied with what you have, it doesn't take long for you. Man, my cup, it overflows. Why? Because they're honor and blessing for those who keep Christ as their good shepherd. Finally, this. Finally, <clears throat> there's the hope when Christ is the good shepherd of eternal life. It's the hope of eternal life. Psalm 23, 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. Forever and ever. There's two things here. First of all, there's the promise of what I like to call the abundant life, and I steal that from Jesus, okay? Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He says, I'll tell you the truth. He says, I'm the gate for the sheep. Uh, all who come before me were thieves and robbers, but the true sheep did not listen to them. Yes, I'm the gate. Those who come through me, they'll be saved. They will come and go freely. They'll find good pastures. Verse 10, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying what? Life. That's abundant life. When you lean into the good shepherd, man, surely goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's abundant life, but there's also eternal life in Christ. Now, I, um, it's been, I've been realizing this month that I'm middle-aged, okay? I had one of these young people this week say something about getting older like me. When I'm older like you, I'm like, oh, that's just, it's horrible to contemplate your mortality, isn't it? Like, ugh. Oh. And so if you're here today and you haven't contemplated your mortality, Merry Christmas is my Christmas gift to you, okay? It's an opportunity to contemplate your mortality, okay? So, you know, we're just getting older and all of us is promised a funeral unless Christ returns, okay? That's the deal. And I remember a couple years ago, I was planning a funeral for one of our longtime church members. And um, man, there's something... Like, I'll start thinking about some of them individually. I'll get emotional, man. I... There's something about memorializing the life of someone who really served God. And it's special. It's, um, it's sacred ground in my mind, in my book, you know. And, and whenever I'm asked to be a part of that, I am I'm deeply humbled. I, I'll never forget, I went into Pastor Joey's office one time. We were playing, I playing with the family. Kind of said, they want you to sing this song and this song and this song. And he was like, man, he goes, it's a, he said the same thing. He said, it's a great honor to be a part of this man's life. You know, and, and, and he, he was literally, the Bible calls a follower of Jesus Christ a saint. You're a saint if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Like, you know, we think of the saints of all these people we could never be. That's not true. In Christ, you're a saint. And he's like, it's an honor to celebrate the life of a saint of God. Because we have the hope 
that a person who's leaned heavily into the good shepherd their life for through their life will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And I'm just getting started. It's incredible. That's the hope of the 23rd Psalm. I want to finish with this thought. Um, You've probably heard the saying about children say some things sometimes that are very profound, right? If you have young children, they'll say things like, you know, we had one of those moments last night. Um, somebody in the church gave my son, my 13-year-old son, a Christmas uh, a birthday gift, and, and uh, they said something that I thought was really special. They said they felt like God had told them that, to tell this son of mine that you're special. So I told him that. And, and my daughter, my 7-year-old daughter goes, um, she says, uh, so why'd they say that? I said, well, they felt like God talked to them, said that to them. And my daughter goes, God talks to them? And then she started asking how. And then I was trying not to be weird. I'm like, well, it kind of talks to the heart through the word, the spirit. And she still didn't get it. And I was like, I'm treading on some weird ground. But out of the mouth of babes, right? You've heard that saying, right? Out of the mouth of babes, right? And sometimes kids say some really wise and profound things. And, and so here's some things that some kids have said that I think are very profound. Patrick was age 10. And this is what he said. He said, never trust a dog to watch your food. Good word. Good word. All right. Um, Michael, who was age 14, he said, when your dad is mad and asks you, do I look stupid? Don't answer him. All right. So, um, Caio, who was nine, said, never hold a vacuum and a cat at the same time. That's pretty smart. All right. Uh, Naomi, who was 15, said, if you want a kitten, start by asking for a horse. Pretty wise, all right? Uh, <clears throat> and Eileen, who was age eight, said, uh, never try to baptize a cat. Okay, so there's some good ideas there. Out of the mouth of babes comes from wisdom. You know. But more than out of the mouth of babes, um, one of the things I love about my kids is what comes out of their heart, out of the heart of babes, if you will. And, and so one of the things I love about my kids, and, and I wish I had more of in my own life, is the complete confidence in me and my wife to provide everything for them. Like I, and especially when they're younger, like I, I don't think my kids ever contemplate the economy. You know, I don't think they've ever lost a night's sleep ever. Man, I hope there's going to be food in the closet. I don't think my kids have ever contemplated, you know, at a young age, I bought, you know, you know uh, my CPA said, if I would start saving for retirement just a little bit at age six, you know, by the time I get, you know, I don't think my kids have ever came to me. No, I can never remember conversations. I'm really concerned about the rising cost of health care. You know, it's just going through the roof, right? And there's a part of me that says, isn't that the way it's supposed to be? Like, I, and when I think about that and out of the heart of babes, you know, I, I think about this psalm. And I think about my heavenly father and his son, Jesus Christ, and that John 10, Jesus declares that he's the good shepherd. And I feel like Jesus is yelling at me, saying, Sean, you're worried about all this stuff, and I'm the good shepherd. Psalm 23 applies to you and your heart. And so my hope here this morning was to challenge you a little bit and ask you one question. Where is your confidence? Really? And my hope is that at the end of the day, it is the Lord Jesus Christ that 
Your confidence lies in my hope for the weekend is if we walk out of here this weekend, we can say this together in our hearts, in our minds, in our confidence. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. And he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you're with me. And your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup, it overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give you praise for that great psalm, God. God, we as your people, we ask for forgiveness where our minds and our hearts get so easily distracted as if trusting money is somehow going to save us, God. Trusting the economy, trusting our government. God, so much better than that. We trust the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this Christmas, as we peer into a manger, God, we are mindful of the good shepherd who came that Christmas morn, lived the perfect life, and vanquished all our enemies on the cross. And then as an exclamation point rose again to show the triumph that will be ours. And so as your people this morning, God, we lift our heads and we give you praise. You are a good shepherd. And as your people this morning, we declare in unison in our hearts, the Lord is our shepherd. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, this is our offering time. If you're a guest with us this morning, we don't want you to feel any obligation to give. This service is our gift to you. Thank you for being here. Uh, this is one of the ways we worship the Lord at Coastal. So if you'd like to join us in that, you're welcome to. On the side of that bulletin is a tear-off. Uh, if you want to fill that out as a guest, we just want to send you a thank you card. One thing before I turn it over to Joey, you know, this morning, if God's Spirit's been snarling on you, kind of speaking to you, challenging you a little bit, and you'd like to pray with someone, you realize, man, my confidence has been lying in something other than the Lord, and I'd just like to talk to someone, pray with someone. We always have some prayer team members up here in the front row after the service. They wear a purple shirt. Man, they would love to minister you that way through a word of prayer. Okay, I'll turn it over to Joey. God and sinners reconciled.
Yeah. 